0: you are welcome to wear a mask if you want to wear a mask and don't have one we do have masks available for you just ask one of our ushers we have plenty of them to go around at our back table so here's what we want to do we want to we want you to feel comfortable here we have enough room to spread out so that we can keep distance and uh, normally families sit together on the same row and so Uh, Feel free to spread out, feel free to wear a mask if you desire, feel free to not wear your mask if you don't want to, Um, but we want you to be comfortable and know that uh, um, we can worship and serve God together here in a a safe environment. I want to now point you towards our scripture. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Galatians chapter 6. So let's turn there, and if you don't have your own Bible, our ushers have Bibles available that you can use through this service this morning, so raise your hand, and they'll bring a Bible to you that you can use throughout our service. They were covering the last part of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, so we'll read verse 11 through the end of the chapter. Please stand with me in respect to the reading of God's Holy Word. After our reading, we'll have a word of prayer. Our choir will come with special music, and then the preaching of God's Word, and then we'll close our service with communion today. So we will prepare for uh, the Lord's Supper um, right after the message, and then we will will, uh, be finished for the day for our service. Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 11. Follow along with me as I read. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And God, give us understanding in this word that we read this morning and that we'll be preaching from our text uh, and our message today. If you would, if you remain standing with me and uh, bow with me for a moment of prayer. Thank you, Father, for a time when we can come and we can pray to you. Thank you for this time we can come and pray together. We pray to you for one another, before one another, to encourage each other in our faith in you. To trust and rely on you. These past couple of weeks, Lord, have been a challenge for us here, as we communion, and that so many have been affected by sickness of some sort, whether it's related to the COVID virus or, or not, whether it resulted in a positive test or not. Uh, these sicknesses have aff- affected a great number of our people here, and we pray. First of all, to thank you that you are in control. You have allowed many to return to, to service today. We see their faces. We greet them. And it's with joy that we know that you've answered our prayer in that regard. And that they desire to be faithful and to serve you. And that we look to you as our strength and, our, and to sustain us. You've given us means of... Uh, giving us medical procedures and drugs and medicine and and, uh, wisdom about how our body functions and we want to use each of those we don't want to disregard any of those but we also know Lord that true healing comes from and only from you and so we trust you we are not to walk in fear of anything but we trust you And so we ask for your strength for you to continue to bless, to heal, to bring about a healing for your glory, Lord, that those who name your name might be a testimony in their sickness of how they rely on you, and regardless of their state, they will worship and trust and honor and obey you. And we look to you for healing, and we give you praise for that healing not wrong for us to expect you to work and to heal in our lives and so we come to you with those needs and with that in mind Lord, we pray i pray especially today for brian who has gone to the hospital he's been in intensive care for several days and and uh he's had a serious condition we just pray lord that you would watch over him you would bless him you would heal him We thank you for so many saints that have been in prayer for him and for his family, for Heidi and for the boys. We pray and we just thank you for her testimony, even though uh, it's a hardship. We see her persevering. We see her same sweet personality, her smile and her joy. We know it's not fake. It's real and that it just reflects her trust in you regardless of the circumstances. We thank you for that. What a testimony that is to us, to encourage us as we continue to pray for her and the family and, and uh, uh, what an encouragement it is to see her steadfastness and faithfulness. We thank you for so many who um, have been sick and are returned now and, and uh, just, they just couldn't wait to get into the house of the Lord to, to worship you. And we thank you for that spirit. Now we pray, Lord, that um, our focus will be upon you. That you would help us to understand your gospel and your truth, that it would impact our lives in such a way that people who see us, who observe us, wouldn't, couldn't help but to see that we operate not in our own strength, in our own righteousness, but with, with that which comes from you. Yes. And Lord, as we give opportunity, we can explain the gospel that show that we are sinners but we are saved by grace from a mighty, gracious, loving, powerful God who put his son as a substitute for our sins and he died on the cross to pay for our sin and now our faith in him means forgiveness of sin and eternal life and a place in your kingdom. And we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that that message... Of the gospel might be spread through our lips and through our lives to yes. those who we come in contact here, that you use it to bring great glory to yourself as you bring others from from gates of hell and death and destruction and sin to become your children and to be ha- to have their lives turned around and give glory to you as they trust in Christ. We thank you now in Jesus' name, Amen please be seated. As we look at our last text on this series in Galatians, we reflect back on what Galatians is all about, and we recall that Galatians is a focus on the gospel. And Paul proclaims the gospel, and he protects the truth of the gospel as, as it is proclaimed. And he starts off, look at chapter 1, verse 1. He actually gives the gospel. Verse 3, Galatians 1, 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the gospel. That's the gospel, that it brings grace and peace. It is the only means of grace and peace to us, and that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And how did he provide that grace and peace to us? He gave himself. What did he give himself for? He didn't give himself for us to have more clarity, He didn't give himself for us to to have better understanding per se. He gave himself specifically because we got a sin issue. It's our sin issue that separates us from fellowship with God, right relationship with God. And the gospel is the only solution to that is Jesus Christ, his death on the cross in our behalf. So he says that who gave Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Notice the gospel is focused on what Jesus does to deliver us from our sin and the resulting consequence of that sin and this present evil age. The gospel didn't come to make this age better. There are some preachers who talk about good news that you're going to have the best life ever. In 2021, that's not the gospel. The gospel is he's going to deliver you from this present evil age. Not make it better and sweeter and make you healthier and wealthier and wiser. He's going to deliver you from this age. We need that deliverance. And Paul focuses on the gospel. He protects the distorted view of the gospel that had been proclaimed among the believers there, and it's pertinent to our day today. It's amazing we live in what should be a gospel-rich environment where people are starved for the gospel. If they weren't starved for the gospel, we wouldn't see what we see today. People reaching for everything apart from God and reliance on Him for their solution today and turning from him to better solutions that's a distorted gospel that's what was happening here in Galatians is that they were saying hey we've got something in in, in fact what they did and we see that often today we don't mind you trusting in God we don't even mind you talking about Jesus a little bit but do it our way it is a man-based gospel that's being proclaimed today. Anything other than Christ is just that. It's the man's solution. It's a man-based gospel. So he reminds us of the truth of the gospel, and he reminds them that they had strayed from that gospel. Sometimes people want to just only be told when they're doing good. Well, that's not helpful if you need to be corrected and told that you're not doing what's right and you need to turn to the gospel. So Paul uses some strong words as he starts out. He says, I'm astonished that you so quickly have turned from the gospel to another gospel. And he says, there is no other gospel. You've turned from this true gospel to a distorted gospel. And he uses this, this letter that he's written to challenge them and to encourage them. So it is about the gospel, and it is good for us to see and to review that today and be reminded of the truth of the gospel. We, we did a summary last week, so I don't feel it necessary to go through all of, of what we did last week as well. In fact, now we had a technology you can actually get on Facebook and look at it, review that message, and uh, so if you're if you're listening now by way of Facebook, you have that opportunity to do that. If you're here in in person, you have opportunity to go home and do that. So if you know that if you're not here in person, you can you can. Uh, use the technology and 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 have access to that. That's a good thing. That's not to be an excuse um, to stay home and and do that because God wants you to fellowship with His people, and He wants you to get that that link together with God's people. And we we see that emphasized in 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 the gospel uh, in Galatians as well. That is, uh, Paul uses confrontation to to challenge the people, and that that is needed. And uh, that connection and that link together with people is so much needed in, in our functioning today. So as we look further now in, in Galatians chapter 5 and even in chapter 6, um, we, we see how, how Paul talks about how we should live out this truth of the gospel in our connection with each other and how we ought to live by the, the power of uh, of the Holy Spirit in our lives and not we don't need uh, uh, the law as a hammer to force us to live a certain way. We have the Holy Spirit who, who, who guides and, and instructs us and, and motivates us to live in a way that's pleasing to God, to walk in his steps, to walk in according to his purpose. In chapter five at the, the very last couple of verses, if we live by the Spirit, let's all, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Um, you know, the Holy Spirit is not going to lead you astray, not going to have you do something that is in opposition to what God's Word says. Um, and so I-, I love the fact that we can walk in the Spirit. And that's not an excuse for us to all do our own thing. Some people talk about that as if the Holy Spirit has spoken to them in a unique and special way and, and given them a, a different direction and message than he's given anybody else. And if they, if they give you that, that sense, or if you have that sense, you have the wrong sense. The Holy Spirit is perfectly in, in sync with the Father and with the Son and with God's Word. And so uh, you can see if, in fact, you're walking by the Spirit as you compare and look at god's word and also interact with god's people uh to to allow them to be a view and a mirror to you if you ignore that then you're not really following god's word he he wants you to be connected with god's people and so um um we can see the holy spirit is 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 to be uh to, to lead and to guide and empower us so in chapter six we see some more specifics of how we are to live. But let me go now to, to, to the letter, to the, to the part we're going to look at today, verses 11 through 18. Verse 11, Paul validates his letter with his signature. We would do that today. Um, at the opportunity, I had to sign several documents on, on the computer, and, and they go through a way to validate and allow you to use your electronic signature to to sign documents. And, And Paul saw a need to make sure the people who got this letter knew that it was from him, that it wasn't a phony. It wasn't something that somebody else made up. Somebody was trying to assume his authority and teach something wrong. He says, no, I signed this myself. And so we see verse 11. He says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand so he's saying, look, this is the way I sign. And we don't know, perhaps that was because of, of his vision. His, his, there's hints to uh, him having some problems with his vision earlier in this chapter. And, and we see some hints to that in other places like 2 Corinthians uh, 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 chapter, uh, uh, is it 13? Uh, where he, he talks about different issues that he's had in the flesh. Um, and so... Uh, Perhaps that was the reason why he had this unique signature, but he's saying, hey, look at this. I've signed it this way. This is unique to me. So you know it's from me. And so that was to validate his own writing. He needed to do that because there were people who were distorting the gospel and trying to usurp authority that they didn't have. And he goes into that in verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who will force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So they distorted the gospel to make themselves look impressive. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we have people doing that today. Distort the gospel so that they can look good, so that they can look uh, uh, important. I caution us as believers to be careful about that. It is the gospel, the message of the gospel that delivers a soul from hell. It is gospel. It is God that is needed. It is God that is preached. It's not me and my salvation message. You are not dependent, no one is dependent on me, and no one is dependent on you to save them. It is God who saves, and it's the message of the gospel that provides that instruction for how God does that. And so you and I, to the extent that we deliver that message, good, praise God, we're, we're being true to that message. But we need to keep in mind, we are not the source. We're just the deliverer. We just relay that message to others. How important it is for us to do that, yes. But it's also important for us to keep in mind who provides the power behind that message. It's God who does that. I don't know if this is doing that or not. Yeah, I think. Yeah. So we have to... Let's get Lawrence who can adjust that. We'll continue on as, as they take care of that. So Paul is presenting this to say there are some who distort the gospel and they want to make themselves look impressive. The gospel reveals God's work and establishes God's authority and thus brings glory to God. It doesn't reveal man's work or establish man's authority. In fact, the, the, the ones who troubled the believers in Galatia that Paul was addressing as troublers in chapter 1, they were using the gospel to promote their own work, to establish their own authority, and to bring about glory to themselves. That's why Paul says it this way, those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Why do they do it? Only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They distort the gospel to escape persecution. What does that say then about the gospel? First of all, let me say this. The true gospel is from God. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, not through men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. This gospel didn't come from man. He makes that point again in, in chapter 1, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. We, we talked, when we looked at that passage, how unique Paul was is that he was not dependent on other men to teach him. This came to him from God. Now, he was taught by men and instructed in, in ways. And, and we, as we stand here today, if we're trusting in the gospel, we know someone, some person Uh, uh, instructed. God used them as a tool, as an instrument to, to enlighten us of the gospel. That's God's means and his method. But with Paul it was different and God uniquely filled him with his gospel himself. That was the responsibility and the privilege of apostles. They were unique in that way. But he needed that uniqueness to show people that, look, he didn't make this up And he didn't get it from any human being. God himself gave it to him. And so the true gospel is from God. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. He says, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately for those who seem influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles. He was talking about how he he went to the group of, of leaders, the apostles, but he said he had a revelation. What is a revelation? God speaking directly to him. That's unique. God is not given those revelations today because he's completed his revelation in his word. And so false teachers are coming like they did in Paul's day to say, hey, we got a message from God too. And Paul is not telling you the truth. And Paul says, remember in chapter 1, he said, hey, if anybody, even if they came from heaven, give you another gospel other than the one I preached to you, let him be accursed. And so, Paul's message, the gospel that we have, is a gospel from God, not from man. Because it's from God, it's also about God and not about man. In chapter 1, verse 4, this is important. He says, this gospel... We read this already. He says, who gave himself concerning Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. This gospel is from God and it's about God. It's about what God has done. I always cringe when I hear believers sometimes talk too much. And they get to talking about themselves as if they're the focus of all what God has done. Now, God has done a great thing in your life if he saved you. He's done a great thing in my life if he saved me. But guess what? I am never to become the focus of all that he's done. The focus of all that he's done is himself. It's God himself in Jesus Christ. And when I begin to think of and present myself as if I am that focus, I've lost focus on who God is and what the gospel is about. So we need to be careful. That might seem like a minute thing, but it it is so critical and so important. The gospel is from God. It is about God. And we have, again, a God-centered focus on the gospel. It is what God has done. Look later on in chapter 1. He says in verse 15, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his Son to me, Notice how he presents all of that. God stepped into my life even before I was born and did this thing. He knew what he was going to do in me. The focus is on him, folks. It's on him. And he's saying, God had this in mind. It wasn't even, when when you read Paul's testimony in Acts, you realize Paul was like, doing his own thing. He thought he was pleasing God. He was on his way to Damascus to, to haul all believers to jail. He had no thought that he was, for one, not even pleasing God in his own action. He thought he was. He thought he was serving God. He had a zeal and a passion. And he thought he was doing the right thing. But he had no idea what God was about to do. And it's not like he saw, you know, all of a sudden now he just broke down and, and, and just let God do his thing. Like, I let God. No. It's presented in Acts as if God just said, look, Paul, you might think and go one way, but I'm going to change you into another way. It's about God and what he does, and that's what makes it so glorious, and that is, is one of the attributes and one of the things that you can recognize when a distorted gospel comes your way, it begins to focus less and less on God and more and more on man. So, gospel is from God. It's about God. And guess what? Because of that, it pleases God. Now, the verse, I, I'm stating it this way because I want you to catch the other side of that. A distorted gospel is not from God. It's from man. It tends to be about man or focuses on man, and it tends to be pleasing to man. Whereas it says here, the gospel is an offense to man, offense to to man, and pleasing to God. A distorted gospel is pleasing to man and an offense to God. Notice what God says in His Word in chapter one, very early, verse six. He says. Verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. In other words, he says, any gospel that is not aligned with the true gospel that comes from God, is about God, pleases God, God is not pleased with. Let it be accursed. Verse 9, he says it again as if to make emphasis. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching you, to you a gospel contrary to the one you received let him be accursed it has in mind let that person forever and for eternity be punished and judged in hell there's no stronger way to say that that's not pleasing to God he said any gospel that's contrary to this gospel is something that is not pleasing to God on the other hand he says this gospel, this true gospel that comes from God, that is about God, is pleasing to God. He says in verse 10, it's going to be in verse, yes, in verse 10 of chapter 1, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He says this gospel is about God, is from God. It pleases God, and it's a stench to mankind. Did you notice that? I always wonder, you know, when when God opens your eyes and and draws you to himself, you wonder why other people's eyes aren't open. It's like, this makes perfect sense, and and why aren't they getting this? And instead of what you would expect them to say, wow, that's amazing. You, You want them to just fall down right there on their knees and say, Lord, Thank you. But instead, what they do is they hate that message. People say stuff like, why are you always quoting Scripture? I'm giving you the promises and the warning of God so that you see that it's not mine. It's what God said. They hate when you pull out a Bible. Some people hate the very presence of a Bible. Now, they don't mind so much if you use it in a distorted way if you take the Bible to say what they want to say and all that they want to say they love using it for that way I notice how politicians often do that when they want to relate to people they all of a sudden start quoting scripture Says, well why don't you quote that when, when, when you set the course of action when you decide what you're going to pass and what you're going to stand for why don't you quote it then or call me and I'll help you quote it and help you see if that lines up that way we want to use it for our advantage, but we don't really want to listen and follow it. Because it doesn't please man. The reason why, you know, sometimes we make the mistake as preachers is try to make it appealing to people. And try to sell it to them. But God didn't intend for that. It's, it's not going to sell. It's not pleasing to man. It's not made to please man. Because man cannot be pleased with good things in an evil state. An evil mindset. He's not going to be pleased with the things of God. That shouldn't shock us, shouldn't surprise us, but that should warn us and, and keep us focused. So, when well, we see what this gospel is about, this gospel reveals God's work, it establishes God's authority, it brings glory to God. This gospel uh, 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 is from God, it's about God, it pleases God, it's an offense to man, and because of that, it brings persecution. It brings persecution. In chapter 5, in our text, he says in verse 12, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. He said they distorted the gospel to keep away from the trouble that the gospel brings when you preach the true gospel. He said they'll be persecuted if they taught what was true. He said the gospel was an offense to the Jews. To such a degree, here, let's just take us through some of it. Can we do that? Acts, you don't mind, even if you do, you know I'm going to do it anyway. Um, Acts chapter chapter, let's see, let's look at a few things here. It's always trouble when I go outside of the order that are planned in my notes, so that's all right, God said do this order and he's okay with it. Acts chapter 13 verse 32. Acts 13. Oh, we're going to start at verse 32. See, this is the gospel that that Paul preached. We bring you, and we bring you the good news. <laughs> it's good news. That what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. But Paul preached this 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 good news about this Jesus who was coming to fulfill all that that, uh, uh, that God had proclaimed. And so he's, he's preaching this gospel, and uh, as he goes on, look at verse 38 and 39. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be free by the law of Moses. Now, when when he says that, you can kind of feel the, the Jews cringe and like, what, what, what? <laughs> you going against what we said. We've been talking and promoting the law of Moses. And you saying, no, Jesus said something that, that the law of Moses couldn't do. And, co- of course, you, you know the story. They, they try to act like... The gospel is against the law, and it's not. Paul Paul already answered that question. In Matthew chapter 5, 17, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I didn't come to throw away and say what Moses said wasn't right. I came to fulfill it. He fits perfectly with that. It's just their understanding wasn't right of what the law was and what it did. And so they were now preaching that you needed to live in obedience to the law, and by living in obedience to the law, you could work yourself your own salvation, your own right relationship with God. And part of those steps was, if you take all the steps, one of them was be circumcised. And Paul says, no, we're not going down that road because that's not what the gospel teaches. It is not a salvation by you doing and taking the right steps and cleansing yourself and being right and being made right with God by what you do. The gospel is about you being made right by what God has done through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you not getting the glory of yourself, but that glory goes to God, it goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and you just a part of it that God brought in by His grace. So you are insignificant in that process, and yet gloriously affected by the gospel amazing so as Paul preached this gospel you can see it's starting to be an offense to them let's see how they responded to it in verse 44 the next Sabbath almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord they were riled up and some were riled up for good purposes and some were riled up for for bad purposes See, the gospel, yes, it has a purpose to say, but it also just points, points out and condemns as well. And God is working in the gospel right now. You might be sitting and, and understanding and accepting God's truth. I can't always tell if you're quiet, if you're sitting, and, and, and what's going on in your mind. But I notice that same facial expression can, can exist in two states. It could be in a state of, Lord, thank you for your glorious gospel. Thank you for saving me. And another state could just be quiet disbelief. And God's gospel will judge you. You know what he'd do? he mark on his eternal calendar. Yes, it was. January, what's the date? Of, the 10th, January 10th, 2021. Replay that tape. Pastor Kenner spoke the gospel to you. And there you were thinking about the wild card game going to come on and what rest of my you was going to eat for dinner and, and how you were going to clean the house when you got home, and you ignored the gospel. Now, I hope that's not you. I don't know that that's, not you, that's you or not. I can't read your face, but God does read the heart. And so there's a different responses to the gospel, and there were different responses back then. And so as Paul preached this, they were riled up and they all came together, verse 44, and they wanted to hear, verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what had been spoken by Paul, reviling him. So they didn't like what he was about to say. They didn't like what he had said before. I'm going to skip down a little bit, verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Okay? So we see the the persecution stepping up. They're standing against, they're lying about Paul uh, uh, but it goes way further than that. Chapter 14, verse 2 it says this, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Verse 5 chapter 14. When an attempt was made by both Jews and Gentiles with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. That's what they wanted to do. They left. Let's skip down to verse 19. So they... They left that city. They went to the next city, verse 19. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. They followed him on his journey. Paul Paul was not dissuaded easy. He got threatened by them, and he, he kept preaching went on to the next city, kept preaching, and they followed him there, and they sent people after him until finally we read in this verse 19, they stoned him. They persuaded the crowds, they stoned him, and look what it says. Read verse 19 again. But but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, what does that mean, supposing that he was dead? They thought they killed them. They intended to kill them. They carried out to kill him, and they thought they did it. Yeah, you know, our job is done here. Let's move on. So it's not like by accidentally they, they, they just kind of like wanted to throw a stone at him and scare him, you know. No. They connected over and over again until... He, there, there was no more life. Now, some think that it may be that he was actually dead and God raised him, uh, uh, allowed him to keep living, or that he was so very near to death that even they, his enemies, were convinced that he was dead. Regardless of, this was their intent and they acted it out. Paul endured real persecution, real suffering. Why did he endure that kind of suffering? Because he preached a true gospel that was an offense to the people that he preached to. We hear the gospel and say, what can be offensive about that? Look, people don't like being called sinners. People don't like being called that. What they do is not right and is not pleasing to God, and that God's judgment will surely come on. That's part of the gospel. We have a watered-down gospel that says, oh, all you got to do is believe in God, and, and and no bad will happen to you. Look, there's a reason why you need to believe in God, because he's holding the sword over you. His judgment, you know, even when you look at gospel, when you look at the, the, the condensed version of the gospel in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Yeah, we love that that statement. He loved the world. Whosoever believeth him, what? Will not perish. There is that option that if you don't trust in God, the only other option is that you will be judged by God and perished. People say, don't preach that side. You won't relate to people, you won't get in, you won't connect with people. The gospel is not trying to relate and connect so much as it is trying to get truth from God. And the power of the Holy Spirit comes with that truth to persuade people to listen, persuade them to turn to Christ, to repent from sin and turn to God. We have so many today that are preaching the gospel that has nothing to do with repenting and turning from sin. They just say, believe God and all your life will be sweet if you have the best life ever. He will turn you from your dark past no mention of sin, no mention of of that devastating impact or God's judgment on sin of an individual in their life. But Paul preached the true gospel. And because of it, it didn't appeal to man apart from God changing the heart. Now, you say, yeah, it does appeal to man, and yes, it does. When God changes the heart, we see ourselves as sinners. The good news is that our sin is dealt with in Jesus Christ, and that I don't don't get condemned for my sin because Christ was already condemned for it. He took the punishment for me. That is indeed appealing. That is indeed good news. But it doesn't glorify me. It doesn't magnify me. It glorifies God, His plan, His purpose, his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The point in our text today is that this gospel does bring persecution. And Paul was saying some had distorted the gospel because they were afraid of the persecution. The warning to us is today is don't give a distorted gospel because you're afraid of persecution. Speak God's truth, all of it. There's power in God's truth, there is love in god's truth but it's consistent and it's god's truth not a watered down or some version you made to appeal to others speak thus saith the lord live it out and let god do his work he's still working that same way people think in our day and age we need to change the message of the gospel to appeal to others oh pastor you don't understand how broken people down are now, and if I call them a sinner, they just feel even worse. Well, praise God, they feel worse. They need to turn to God and recognize He and He alone is the remedy, the solution, the salvation to our true brokenness, to our true hurt, and to our true desperation and need. Anything outside of that is not kindness at all. It's not love at all. In fact, it's saying, I know better than God. I have a better solution than God. And God says, that's not appealing. That's not pleasing to him. It's a distorted gospel. But back in, in um, let, me, let me finish in Galatians chapter 6, because I think the things that we just read in Acts kind of point this out. He says in verse 13, Galatians six thirteen. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves... Keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that so they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul focuses on the gospel. He says, I won't boast, I won't promote anything other than the gospel, and that's the gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ. And by that gospel he says this. By which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. What does he mean by that statement? This is what he's saying. (laughs) The world is crucified to me. The world is dead to me. I am acting as if the world has no appeal to me, no influence. Now, we know that it does try to pull and persuade and, 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 and move us, but we count ourselves as dead, uh, or the world as dead to us. That's what the believers do. And, and that's the that's battle. That's a daily battle, is that I, 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 I'm not sucked in by the message, by the motives, by, by, by the means of the world. Instead, it's the gospel that fuels what I do. And he says, I am dead to the world. <laughs> I count myself as dead. I count myself as, as not having any interest anymore in the things of the world. Now, the fact is, I'm working that out on a daily basis, right? I'm pulled and drawn into the world in, in various ways, and I have to fight to do that. But I remind myself, I'm dead to that world, and they're dead to me. I'm not going and walking in that way anymore. Earlier in the book, he says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. I count myself differently now. I think differently. I desire differently. I remind myself that I have that difference. And when I'm tempted to go in the direction of the world's influence, no, I'm dead to that. You know what? They're dead to you as well. In other words, they, they, they're not interested in you. You don't appeal to them. So stop trying to be appealing before them. Be appealing to God. I'm not saying you got to be mean and nasty and tell everybody you meet, they're going to hell. You, but he's saying, look, be pleasing to God and recognize that it's not your appeal to them and them liking you that gets the gospel message across. Focus on God and pleasing him. Let everything else fall where it may. That's what Paul's saying. It's the gospel and that message of the gospel that drives me. I'm dead to everything else. I like what he says as he closes, verse 17. I'll have to to, uh, focus on verse 16 a little later in another message, but let let me jump to verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. We talked about that passage when Paul was stoned. He says, I've lived that life. I've been persecuted for the gospel. Paul's not saying that to boast in himself. What he's saying that to the Galatians is, look, I'm bringing you the gospel not because it benefited me or made me look good. In fact, I've been, people tried to kill me for this gospel that I proclaimed to you. He said, no, how real it is. If under persecution I still preach that, there's something about this gospel. There's something about this truth. This is the truth you ought to stay in. This is worth standing for. He says, those other ones that's trying to persuade you to walk in their path of legalism, um, stop listening to them. He says, I bear in my own body the marks of how true the gospel is and the persecution that comes with it, and yet I'm, I'm a record. I'm faithful to that, and I don't do that to bring glory to myself, but to point out the truth, the genuineness of the gospel and how you ought to be willing to do that same thing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. He reminds himself he has been disappointed with their stand and how they've pulled away from the gospel, but yet those who trust in Christ, even if they disappointed Paul, are still his brothers, and he still prays God's grace in their lives. He was reminded of who they are and his connection with them. And his reason for his passion was because they're connected through Christ. They are brothers in Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. And then the last word is amen. So be it. Let it be so. <laughs> the end of God's word and revelation is even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And it's, it's just as God has told us how to, taught us how to pray, your will be done. That's what Amen says. God's will be done. Paul earlier in his book, in his letter, he said, I have confidence that you won't keep following those who, who are trying to lead you astray. And his confidence was based on what God had done in their lives that God had started them on his path. God would keep them. The Holy Spirit lived within them and would show them truth. When they opened their eyes, they would see that what Paul was saying was true. This confidence was not based on who he was or his influence or his power over them, but in God and the work that he has started. I share that same confidence that you will hear God's word until you will respond. Those who are God's children respond always to God's word. They hear His truth. They can get distracted a bit, but when reminded of the truth, they'll see it and they'll line up with it. May the gospel have that impact in your lives. We're going to move into our our um, communion time. So I'm going to ask our our leaders if they would come. We have um, Andy and. Lawrence and Cliff. Two of our men are missing. I haven't forgotten my father-in-law, Mac. We used to put a chair up here for him. He was sitting. In other words, he served till he couldn't stand no more. When he couldn't stand, he sat. And when he couldn't sit, he's standing (laughs) in heaven. (laughs) we praise god for his testimony we haven't forgotten him the other one that's not here today is my own son brian who's in the hospital now i'm thankful to god that he's getting better um i'm thankful for your prayers and prayers of many of the saints um we look forward to to him i kind of wanted to to uh look forward to a time when he could be here he wasn't here last week because he wasn't feeling well and now we know why he wasn't feeling well, because he had a serious issue, and thank God that's now being addressed, so that's good. Uh, but we do miss him, and uh, we look forward to that time when we can fellowship with him again, and that God will bring that about as soon as possible. So we'll, we'll keep in mind in prayer for him. But let's prepare our hearts for communion. Uh, we know that communion comes with a, a great warning. A warning that it is, first of all, for believers— we're remembering what Christ has done for us. If you haven't trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have no reason and should not participate in communion in any way. Um, that's, that's just from God's word, saying don't, don't do this just, just because you walk here and feeling, um, you, know, you, you feel pressured in some way, um, trying to relieve that pressure. No, you'll be better off not doing it also it's for those who are walking in obedience to God's word and in fellowship with God's people. I think that fellowship includes placing yourself under the leadership of the church. I think you should be a member and then be a part of communion here. Um, if you're waiting to become a member, um, then, then, then you should be acting on that. Don't, don't stand in limbo for too long. Satan works in that. So, make up your mind, and uh, make that decision, and go forward with that. Now I know in some cases you want to make that decision, perhaps you've even made that known, and yet there's a process that you'll be going through before that happens. I understand that, um, but just submit to God in that, and wait till that's completed, and then you can participate in, in communion um, as, as as we would have it. The reason I say that is so many people have, have a thought pattern and thinking that, um, you know, they think almost as if they can do their own thing. And as long as their mind and heart is right, everything they do is right and cool. And I'm, I'm saying that's not right. <laughs> you need to line up with God's word. God said, <clears throat> you know, God didn't say for you to get saved and do your own thing at home. He intended for his people to be together together. Connected and under the authority that he established in the local church. If you don't understand that, I'll, I'll be glad to show that to you in his word uh, and help you understand that. Um, if you reject that, you just don't want to hear what God has to say. Um, and I, I pity you um, because you can either do your way or you can do God's way. He has established that we could be connected in the local church and therefore serve one another. When Paul was going out giving the gospel, you can see in in other passages there, he, he was told to go and appoint men as pastors, as deacons, as leaders in that community in a local church, not for people to just be saved and just to hang loose and do their own thing but to be under that instruction and under that authority in the local church. So I would urge you, if you haven't done that yet, or if you're waiting to do that, make that a serious part of your decision and commitment because that truly is walking in obedience to God. And you can't ignore that. <clears throat> so I would in, in, in encourage you and urge you to, to do that, be real in that. And if, if you're not going to do that here, then go where you are going to do that. Don't keep coming here and not following God's word. Go where you're going to be committed to him and then be committed and serve there. So uh, I know that might be hard for some to take, but um, you need it. It's God's truth. I'd be glad to share more with you so you can have that same conviction um, that I have as it being a truth of God's word. So today we have communion, and what we're going to do is uh, pray over this And I've already given that warning out to you. I pray that you take heed to that. Um, And then we're going to to take. We have two elements in communion. Um, One element represents Jesus' body. It's a a wafer, um, a a cracker, if you would, that represents his body. And we remember that Jesus took on a human body to pay the price for our sin. The other element is the juice that represents his blood. And there we remember that Jesus had to shed his blood. And that's the that, that is to picture his death. He didn't just like have a, na- a little nail prick and a little, little drop of blood came out. The blood showed that he was going to die and he in fact died. He was put to death. He was tortured in a painful, agonizing, suffering death. He did that to pay for my sin, to pay for your sin. God required that of him. But we remember his death on the cross. And then we know that God raised him up again. He was really dead. He became really alive. And God gave him life and he is living now um, in heaven at the right hand of the throne of God and waiting for God's command to say, go. (laughs) Go back to earth, gather your own and start your kingdom there. So... We, we're looking forward to that. And all that is for believers, as I mentioned before, we're remembering what Christ has done. Remember I said in the message that this gospel is a focus on him and not us. It's about him, and and, 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 and we keep it there. So let's remember Christ as we share today. So let's, let's pray. I'm going to ask Cliff if he would um, ask us in preparation for this to submit to God's will, um, to confess our sins, and be right with one another even as we come so that we can Uh, have a true heart of fellowship as we worship today. So Cliff, would you lead us in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, as we are standing before your table today, Lord, we ask that our hearts might be pure, Lord, that if we have anything against a brother or sister, that we uh, get that straight before communion is administered, Lord. You have said in your word that some people take communion unworthily. And there is judgment for that. So this is a solemn uh, feast that we go about and we just pray that our hearts are right as we take it. So we pray, Lord, God, that you might bless us today as we partake in your table. For Christ's sake, amen. Amen. We're going to give God thanks for the two elements. we am going to ask Andy if he would pray for the wafer that represents Jesus' body. Lawrence, if you would pray for the juice that represents Jesus' blood. Lord, we just come to you. We just um, think about this wafer as we take it, Lord. We just think about how you allowed your body to be broken, how you allowed yourself to be uh, put upon the cross and to be killed for us, Lord, to take on our sins, Lord, that you were able to pay that sacrifice. Thank you today for the juice and what it represents, the blood that was shed for our sins, Lord just thank you for being that willing sacrifice that would go to the cross and die in order that we may live we thank you for the gain that we get from that sacrifice lord and i just pray today as we take the cup that you just help us to be in remembrance of that lord help us to understand just the depth of love that you show to us in order for us to stand once again in your presence in jesus name i pray So let me give instruction for how we'll do this. Uh, Our men are going to stand, starting in the back, and direct you. Uh, We're going to ask you to come forward down the middle aisle. You'll take one container, In that container is both the wafer and the juice, and I'll explain that later when we get back to our seats. So you'll come down the middle aisle, take a container, and go back to your seat. If you're not going to participate in communion, we want you to walk through and just go ahead and and walk without grabbing or taking any, any cup or container. That's so that we can all flow in a, in a, in a traffic flow that, that makes things work out a little better. Okay, um, So, let's, let's all stand with you and our starting in the back men would you direct them through the center and return to your seats along the side aisle. return to your seats. Um, Please wait for further instruction. We will take the cup and the uh, wafer together. I'll give you instruction once everybody has returned to their seats. When you do return to your seat, please be seated. So those who are standing are ones who haven't come forward yet. I've done this a couple of times and I should be getting better at it. What <laughs> we have is one container but there's two lids. The first one if you lift up should, should expose the wafer and then if you're careful to pull the second lid up it will uncover the whole cup of the juice underneath. Um, so at this time if you want to carefully pull back that first lid to seal. There again, it did that again for me. Yeah, mine went right to the juice so I have to pull the other layer off, there it is, okay. There's the wafer and then beneath that is another seal for the juice. The wafer seal is not as strong as the other one, okay. so. First of all, we're going to take the wafer in just a moment. We're remembering what this represents. This doesn't magically become anything or do anything. But our practice here is serious because God said in his word, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul was saying that some of believers were taking communion with a wrong frame of mind. And because of that, they were being judged by God to the extent that some were sick, and even some had died because of God's judgment of their attitude towards receiving communion so it is nothing to be taken lightly and yet we recognize it represents Jesus' body it doesn't magically become you're not going to become more holy when you eat and drink this but it's remembering what Christ has done for those who trust in him what did he do he took on a human body so that he could pay the price for my sin by dying on the cross. Remember Christ then, as we eat the wafer together. When Jesus instituted this practice, he also took a cup and he told his disciples that that cup represented his blood and he was going to shed on the cross for our sins. We remember that today, that Jesus has already shed his blood And we drink this today just to remind us of what Christ has done as the payment for our sin so that we might have eternal life and forgiveness of our sins. Let's remember Christ as we then drink together. I think about the sweet taste of that. It reminds me that it's not that we drink Christ's blood and it's sweet, but we're reminded of what his blood accomplished in for our salvation his death meant that I am his child whose sins are forgiven and paid for and I will spend eternity with him because of Christ we rejoice in that we're going to close our service now with a, a word of, of prayer thank you father for your son the lord Jesus Christ May we think through this week and reflect each day on Christ, what he's done, and as a result of that, of who we are and how we are to behave, how we are to think, how we are to act, how we are to live, to bring glory to him. Help us. Make us aware of those things you would have us to do and have us to to think and say that we might please you jesus name we pray we thank you now for this day for this message for our, our gathering here today we pray as we leave this place that um, you would work in our lives um, to to cause us to want to please you and bring glory to you in jesus name we pray amen you are dismissed